You're listening to the Brooke Snow Podcast, conversations to help you look forward with faith, faith in yourself, faith in God, and faith in your own mission and purpose. I'm your host, Brooke Snow. You have season two, episode 47, The Art of Self-Care. Welcome to season two of the Brooke Snow Podcast. This season is breaking from tradition in an exciting way. After some lovely negotiation, I received permission from my publisher to publish the audio of my book, Living in Your True Identity, Discover, Embrace, and Develop Your Own Divine Nature, as podcast episodes. Now, right now, this is only a tentative experiment, and these episodes may not always be here, so I encourage you to listen while you can. My book is some of my best work, and while I do love my regular podcast episodes, they really are a random selection of topics. The book, however, moves progressively, continually building upon a theme and leading you through a process. Each week, I'm going to release a new chapter. If you like what you hear, please consider purchasing the book for yourself or someone you know who would really benefit from this message. You can pick up a hard copy or Kindle version on Amazon, and I'll provide you the link for you to do that in the show notes of this episode. Today, you have chapter seven, the art of self-care. Chapter seven, the art of self-care. On my wedding day in 2007, my wise father passed the torch to my husband, Ben, with this bit of marital advice. Make sure you feed her and put her to sleep on time. If you can do those two things, it'll all work out. (laughs) Coming from a man who had lived with me for over two decades, you could say he was quite familiar with both my false identity and my true identity. He had observed some important elements that kept my false identity at bay and made me more pleasant to be around. Needless to say, my husband has relied on this advice countless times and happily it works just like my dad promised him it would. Now, food and sleep may be basic survival strategies that cure an emotional meltdown or bring hope back into view, but just imagine what can happen when self-care is allowed to rise above the level of surviving and enter into the realm of thriving. We have all experienced the false identity emerge when we neglect our own self-care. Did you pull an all-nighter? Did you eat junk all week? Did you spend every waking moment only responding to others' needs? Have you showered and gotten fully dressed? Did you move your body or did you disconnect with a screen instead? When did you last spend time in nature? When you neglect your own self-care to any degree, living in your true identity is far more difficult. Your true identity must be nurtured and fed with daily consistency. Are you moving away from pain or toward joy? Most people will care for themselves only far enough to no longer feel pain physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. Consider the scale in the image below. The further away you get from pain, the better you feel. If being at a six crosses over to the joy side, the not feeling pain can seem good enough. Content, many people stop or minimally maintain the self-care efforts here and easily sink back to the pain side of the scale in life's natural ebb and flow. It can feel like a never-ending cycle of always trying to get away from pain instead of eagerly seeking to keep moving toward joy. 
Where do you fall on the scale? When you choose to keep moving toward joy, you embrace nurturing rituals and the art of self-care. Here, you spend your time in the 8 to 10 range of joy. Life brings a natural fluctuation, similar to the waxing and waning of the moon. At times, we are increasing in light and other times we are decreasing. But you don't have to go through the entire spectrum. Living in balance allows you to subtly shift up and down, but you are anchored by your nurturing habits. Because your true identity is joyful, this range is a beautiful place where your true identity easily shines through. It is a lifestyle to live here. This lifestyle is built upon nurturing rituals, which we will explore in a moment. So how does this eight to 10 range of joy correspond to your environment? How is it affected by trials, challenges, and setbacks? Looking at the image above, can you remember a time in your life when life felt totally overwhelming? When every day was an uphill battle? How well did you care for yourself during this time? Were you nurturing yourself with love and grace every day? I didn't think so. When you are not giving yourself the love, care, and nourishment that you need, you stay small and your mountain grows tall. If you're living at a level two and experience a level three problem, it's bigger than you are. You can try to conquer your mountain little by little, but still you will inevitably feel exhausted and discouraged. There is a much easier way to climb this mountain. It involves changing the scale of the drawing. Practicing the art of self-care makes you grow taller. When you grow the image of yourself, when you nourish yourself, you figuratively grow taller and become bigger than your mountain. You become bigger than your trials and your challenges. You become bigger than the stress and feelings of overwhelmingness. If a level three problem comes along and you're at a level nine, you can easily handle it. What is your own pattern? When your schedule seems overwhelming, when the needs of others press upon you, when trials show up in your life and your mountain starts to feel oh so big, do you amp up your self-care and grow taller to conquer it? Or do you put your self-care to the bottom of the list in an effort to fight fires and tackle what is immediately in front of you? Do you grow big or do you unintentionally become smaller and smaller? If you can learn to gracefully nourish yourself every day, it will provide the growth you need to be taller than your mountain. Life will always have opposition and you will always have commitments and responsibilities and challenges. However, the scale of those challenges is directly related to the scale of your own self-image. If you're tall, most challenges feel small. If you're small, most challenges feel tall. With consistent self-care, you'll also find many of your self-imposed challenges slip away because you are making better choices that nurture you. Life is so much easier and more beautiful when you are well cared for. The view is amazing. You see above the mountain, your capacity to help serve others and fulfill your own personal mission is greatly enhanced. If it's so great to be well cared for, why do we neglect ourselves? <laughs> I have heard every excuse and I have used them all myself for years. Why do we not do it? 
because we don't believe we can. Our false identities tell us that caring for ourselves is selfish, that we don't have the time, that we don't have the money, that we don't have the necessary help, that we don't have support, that we don't have the health, that we don't deserve it. It all boils down to belief. And by now, you should be able to recognize all of those negative affirmations as statements of the false identity. Just writing those phrases out makes me feel all closed up. It is only impossible if you believe it to be so. Resolving resistance. Do you believe that you can obtain the amount of self-care that you need to thrive? If you have any resistance to upping your self-care, ask yourself why. What belief is holding you back? On what level do you believe it? Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, or physically? Hopefully this book has helped you believe you need self-care on a mental level. Do you believe it yet on an emotional and physical level? What clearing tools can you use to let go of this belief? What empowerment tools can you use to believe something new and supportive? What logistics are holding you back? Logistics have always been my favorite excuse. I can't because I have small children and I'm the only one that can watch them. I can't because no one will cover for me. Well, different seasons in life will absolutely influence your availability. There's always a way to work things out if you open your mind and think outside the box. What if those logistics were solved? Last year, a neighboring young mother asked if I'd be interested in trading childcare for one afternoon a week so we could each attend the temple. I felt like my entire life expanded in that one question. For several months, we swapped babysitting for a few hours a week. I was so grateful she thought outside the box. It was a win-win solution. What creative ideas can you think of to help solve the logistics problem? If you still feel stuck on logistics, this is a great topic to bring up in conversation with your support system of family and friends. Brainstorm together and counsel on ways that you can support each other in receiving the care you both need. Changing habits. Ideally, we want to live in a direction moving toward joy, not just moving away from pain. This will require you to take a few extra steps to move past being content with surviving to live in the realm of truly thriving. It is worth the added effort. And once you spend any significant amount of time in the thriving zone, you never ever want to go back to just surviving. Better yet, your true identity shines in this zone because you're honoring yourself with love and care. You are more fully living your own portion of the commandment to love thy neighbor as thyself. Matthew 22, 39. Truth be told, I have spent many years of my adult life in the survival zone, moving away from pain. I've had an on again, off again morning ritual of journaling, prayer, and scripture study. But my tendency to sleep in on weekends and stay up too late made getting up early difficult and inconsistent. I have long struggled to commit to a regular exercise routine and my serious focused personality prefers work over play. The only habit I have long sustained with impressive regularity is my diet. 
I've eaten a clean, non-processed whole food diet for the past nine years, and it's been a wonderful, steady support to my life. Otherwise, my life is splattered with on-again, off-again bursts of resolve to change my patterns. Every new year would come and go, and I would write down the same goals as the year before. Intuitively, I knew these reappearing goals were keystones to upgrading my life. Get up early, go to bed early, exercise, meditate, do something fun, play. My true identity had been trying to send me a message of what will help her shine for many years, but there were long periods when it all seemed too hard. My mountain was far too big and I was far too small. Changing habits when you are in the pain zone or survival zone can seem monumental. It's a lifestyle upgrade and it disrupts the homeostasis of all that is familiar and long practiced. The other challenge with a habit goal is that it lasts forever. Achievement goals have deadlines and you know when they are done. Habits though are a different category entirely. I can last a few days trying something new, but soon the fuzzy forever part of the equation makes me feel like I can work on this later when it becomes more comfortable. Set a streak record. For me, everything changed when I took an online goal setting course that differentiated habit goals to be time bound. Set a streak record for your habit goal, my teacher explained. Pick how many days in a row you want to have a running streak and work for that. Put an X on the calendar. Each day you do your goal and see how many X's you can get in a row. Try not to break the chain. Somehow, 90 days of getting up early sounded more manageable than forever. <laughs> Every lasting habit change that I have today started with a streak record. A 40-day meditation challenge turned into three years and counting. 75 days of yoga turned into a daily practice I can't live without. Steadily, I have added habit upon habit to create a framework of self-care that has me living in the thriving zone, an eight to 10 range of joy. It's taken time and commitment to get here, mixed in with some messiness that naturally occurs from upgrading your life. Nonetheless, I never, ever want to return to simply surviving. Today, my self-care rituals can take up to three hours throughout a day. That may sound like a ton of time, yet magically time is a whole new dimension in the eight to 10 range of the scale. Life is slower. I have free time and I'm doing more and more responsibilities, yet it all feels beautifully slow and manageable. I rarely feel anxiety or stress. I am kinder, more content, more present and I am rapidly progressing in many areas of personal development. I have time for hobbies, friendships, and one-on-one -on -one time with my kids and husband. I read lots of books, spend time outdoors, and have more order in my home. We enjoy home-cooked meals each night and time together as a family. And my house is clean and my laundry's done. I feel so much more capable in loving others because I have learned to love myself. If I stop the self-care, my ability to manage so many different parts of life is quickly reduced and I revert back to the struggle of life happening to me as I scramble to keep up and not collapse in utter defeat. How is this even possible? How does time shift like that? 
there are only so many hours in a day. So how is it that I can have greater order in my life when I'm dedicating more time to self-care? Turns out it's science. The science of self-care. I recently watched a video on YouTube called Amazing Resonance Experiment. The experiment begins with an administrator pouring salt onto a vibrating plate. The vibration comes from a tone generator. As the vibration gradually increases, the salt bounces around and then quickly organizes itself into a geometric pattern. In the beginning, the low vibration forms a very basic pattern, a circle. With each higher vibration change, there's a period of disruption. The salt dances around in a bit of chaos and then quickly orders itself into a new pattern of greater intricacy. The principle becomes clear. The higher the vibration, the more complex the pattern. Vibration plays a pivotal role in our daily life. Words have vibration. Thoughts have vibration. Hurtful words are a lower vibration than the high vibration of inspiring words. Activities have vibration. Watching reality TV is a much lower vibration than gardening. Every emotion we feel has a unique vibration level. We intuitively know this when we say things like, she's in a low spirit or she's in a high spirit. So how does this relate to self-care? In the video demonstration, the higher vibration results in a more complex pattern of order. When you live life at a higher vibration, you have order over more things. You're naturally more productive. You experience more patience and love in your relationships and you solve problems and find solutions more easily. You are bigger than your mountain and you steward more areas well. If you live life at a lower vibration, your capacity is far less. You may only be able to manage order in one or two areas. Anything beyond that is too much. Self-care is the practice that helps you live life at a higher vibration. The higher your vibration, the more order in your life and the more joy you feel. So how do you maintain a consistently high vibration? Choose high vibration words. Choose high vibration thoughts. Practice high vibration activities. At the risk of repeating myself again, what you see, say, and feel directly influences your vibration. You must consciously create your life so that it is moving toward joy or you'll settle into a life of survival. Change is not always a smooth process. From this same experiment, you can see the patterns of salt slightly fall apart each time the vibration is raised before order ensues once again. Any change we experience in life causes some momentary disruption. Don't be surprised when you attempt to upgrade your habits and things feel momentarily chaotic and unfamiliar. This is natural. Press forward until you settle into your new intricate pattern. The art of self-care. Self-care is an art form. It is developed over time and you gradually get better with practice as you learn what habits and rituals serve you best. You'll become more aware 
of the vibration of certain activities. Taking a break to browse social media is a lower vibration than taking a break to go for a walk outside, which is typically a high vibration. With practice, you will make better choices for yourself and find yourself moving toward joy and not just moving away from pain. We'll study the art of self-care in three areas, the art of grace, the art of ritual, and the art of delight. The Art of Grace Seed of Grace by Brooke Snow Daily the farmer works and toils. He sows his seeds in nurtured soil, clears the ground of noxious weeds, all for hope in harvesting. By and by the seeds grow strong, with abundance in their song. His efforts have paid off again. But can he claim the glory when... The sun shone high for many days. The rain did visit when he prayed. The seeds attained their pure design and bounty gives in more supply. The grace of God is freely given and the rain and sun sent from heaven. But only those who plant their seeds will reap the fruit of what can be. The first time I really understood the balance between works and grace was when I read A Marvelous Work and a Wonder by LeGrand Richards. He explains grace in the metaphor of a farmer. The farmer plants his seed, prepares the ground, weeds, but still cannot claim credit for the growth or harvest of his crop. For who sent the rain? Who allowed the sun to shine? Who created the seeds that fulfill their design to grow? It is God that brings the rain, God that brings the sun, God that helps things grow. These are the elements of God's grace. Yet there is a difference between the seed that is never planted and the one that is carefully placed in soil. The rain falls and sun shines on every person, but only those who do the work to plant themselves in the ground will receive grace to transform into who God created them to be. We all have the seed of divinity within us, We were each created for a divine purpose with a unique and wonderful mission to fulfill. But we do not realize this potential unless we consistently plant ourselves in the ground to receive his enabling and redeeming power. There are things we must do. Our efforts are small in comparison. Nevertheless, these small efforts reap great rewards. The prophet Alma taught By small and simple things are great things brought to pass. Alma 37, 6. Self-care is the practice of daily placing yourself in the ground to receive the grace of God. You show up in a position to receive and grow. God then transforms you through his grace. He grows you taller than your mountain, leads you to marvelous places, and equips you to accomplish marvelous things. But you have to show up. You have to plant yourself in the ground in order to grow. Empowerment tool number three, grace. There are many disciplines that plant you in the ground to receive grace, prayer, meditation, scripture study, repentance, and forgiveness, to name a few. Any practice that aligns your body, mind, and spirit to God will place you in the ground ready to receive his grace for your own ongoing transformation. Making this a daily practice is when the real magic starts to happen. Consistency is key. Mastering the act of simply showing up every day is made easier 
when it becomes a ritual. The art of ritual. Empowerment tool number four, nurturing rituals. The evening and the morning routines in your life are the most important moments of your day. How you start and how you finish stand as bookends to all that occurs in between. You have more control over these sacred hours than any other time. As other people and events largely influence everything that happens in the middle. If you can learn to create a special routine in the morning and evening with great meaning to you, it will change your life. As a missionary, I read a talk by Elder Jeffrey R. Holland. He boldly cautioned missionaries by saying, you make or break your mission every morning of your life. You tell me how those morning hours go from 6.30 a.m. until you are on the street of your mission. Whatever time it is, you tell me how those hours go, and I will tell you how your day goes. Close quote. According to the missionary schedule, these early hours are personal. It is not the time of day missionaries are out serving in the community or teaching others the gospel, what many consider the central purpose for serving a mission. Instead, these hours are meant to be used for exercising the body, mind, and spirit. It is your own sacred, personal ritual time to love yourself so you can then more effectively go and love your neighbor. Elder Holland understood the power these hours hold for personal transformation. It is the time a missionary works on his or her own soul, her own faith, her own testimony, her own relationship with God. It stands to reason that a missionary who goes forth to serve the remaining hours of the day, filled with power from using this sacred time, will witness miracles and do great good among those she serves. I have found this observation to still hold true in my life today. I make or break my day in those early morning hours. In the yogic tradition of a daily sadhana practice, there is one law. Get up, set up, and keep up. Felice Austin expounds this topic in her book, Awake as in Ancient Days, the Christ-Centered Kundalini Yoga Experience. She says, if you don't set up for the day, if you don't posture yourself ready to engage the day, how are you going to keep up? And how are you going to have a setup if things are already happening before you even get up? So first, you have to get up before things are happening. Then you can set yourself in a posture, attitude and commitment, ready to engage. Then you have the potential to keep up. If you keep up, you will start having a momentum above time. And the effective human is timeless above time. As long as you feel you are just at the whim of time, you are not at the level of extraordinary human that is your normal potential. Close quote. Just like the magic compounding pennies, your self-care rituals compound over time. In the moment, they may seem inconsequential, small, and even simple. But practice long-term, you begin to experience this momentum above time that Felice describes. In addition, you can look back over months or years and find that you have actually grown from a seed into a young tree. You are transforming, and it is magnificent. Incremental progress. Building a ritual full of grace must happen in increments to be sustainable. 
If getting up early or going to bed early sounds impossible right now, start by adjusting your schedule in 15 minute increments. Every few weeks, increase it again until you ease into your ideal time and add one new practice in at a time. God teaches us line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. 2 Nephi 28.30 When Jesus was a child, Luke tells us he grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Luke 2.40 To wax means to increase. Jesus increased in spirit, wisdom, and grace. Your own self-care rituals will wax strong over time, gradually raising your vibration and naturally expanding your capacity to do more and have order over more things. The evening and morning rituals don't have to be long. They need only be consistent. Master first the discipline of showing up every day. Neil A. Maxwell said, steady devotion is better than periodic exhaustion. It's the steadiness that makes the difference, not the rare marathon moment of intense dedication. What should you include in your ritual? Build your rituals upon high vibration activities that align your mind, body, and spirit. Though I've had a decent morning ritual for many years, I only used it to strengthen my mind and spirit. I would pray, journal, and study scripture. While those practices are still fundamental, it wasn't until I began to integrate my body into the ritual that my prayer and study time enhanced tenfold. I began with only three minutes of yoga before my prayer and study and was amazed at the difference in my ability to receive revelation and to have a clear and active mind. The spirit and the body are the soul of man. Doctrine and Covenants 88.15 We're taught that when the body and the spirit are connected, we receive a fullness of joy. Doctrine and Covenants 138.17 Even though death brings an obvious separation of the body and spirit, we can still live our mortal life in a degree of separation from our body. When you intentionally connect the body and spirit in self-care rituals, you also receive a greater fullness of joy. My current evening and morning rituals include body, mind, and spirit, and I can testify to the increased power from choosing to marry all three. My preference leans towards breath and yoga because it's so easy to do in almost any setting, and it is powerful enough that even a small amount reaps significant gains. It also easily integrates with other practices such as prayer, meditation, and scripture study. Now, that being said, there are many ways to use the body. Going for a walk, run, bike ride, hike, or dancing can all be sustainable daily rituals that open the body to connect with your spirit for an increase in joy. Please note that I'm not talking specifically about the principle of physical fitness, though many of these activities may be considered in such a way. There is a need we have to connect to our body for spiritual alignment. When your body, mind, and spirit are actively united, your channel for revelation, ability to learn, and capacity to experience joy are infinitely expanded. If you isolate any of them, you are more limited. The most nurturing self-care will occur when you can integrate all three together. Watch what happens when you go for a walk or run and you also 
use the time to pray, list gratitude or repeat affirmations. Watch what happens when you pause for several nourishing inhales and exhales before you pray at night. Watch what happens when you dance to inspirational music that holds an empowering message. Watch what happens when you do a few minutes of yoga to increase the openness and breath flowing in your body before you read scriptures. If you find that you resist certain habits like prayer and scripture study or that they feel disconnected and dull, bring the body into the experience and it will level up the practice immediately. Rituals built upon activities that integrate the body, mind, and spirit will also serve to provide the deepest level of nurturing and care that you will find. Even when I was fighting for my life in an emergency helicopter, it was the marriage of these three that saved me. As I repeated an inspiring mantra on each inhale and exhale of my body, even in a moment of extreme limitation, I managed to connect all three. This taught me that if I'm not yet unconscious or dead, it's always possible to do something. No routine is still routine. My dear friend Davina Fear is an amazing documentary photographer who photographs families in their normal day-to-day -day life. She preps for her day-in-the-life sessions by interviewing the family to find out about their routines and what a typical day looks like for their family from the moment they wake up until they fall asleep. Often people respond that they don't have a routine and she continually points out that everyone has routines. Even the absence of routine is still a routine. What is your evening routine? For years, I would have said that I didn't have one. But just like Davina points out, my missing routine was still a routine. It involved watching TV until I was too tired to stay awake, falling asleep on the couch with my contacts still in my eyes, makeup on my face, clothes still on, house lights on, too exhausted from the day to make it to my bed. It was not purposeful or helpful, yet it happened more often than I'd like to admit. It was never fun to wake up at 2 a.m. with a sore back and to turn off the lights and make my way upstairs in a sleepy stupor to collapse into my real bed. For me, I had a loving morning ritual long before I ever had an evening one. Perhaps this is because I'm a morning person. Had I been a night owl, I likely would have perfected my nightly ritual first. Now that I have balanced both ends of the day to be nourishing, I have discovered that they each feed the other. Your nightly ritual sets you up for your morning ritual, which sets you up for your day, which sets you up for your evening. And so it goes day in and day out in a glorious chain of beautiful self-care. Ayurveda wellness rituals to consider. So what finally clicked for me to implement the missing evening routine? <laughs> I discovered Ayurveda, an ancient 5,000-year-old practice of wellness that originates in India and is the sister practice to yoga. Ayurveda teaches gentle self-care rituals for optimal health. One reason for my lack of an intentional evening routine was not knowing what I should do. Nights when I fell asleep in my bed and not the couch, my routine upgraded to washing my face, brushing my teeth, putting on my pajamas, saying a fast prayer and hopping in bed. 
could my evening ritual be even more intentional? Early to bed, early to rise. Ayurveda prescribes an early bedtime and an early awake time. This started to sound familiar to teachings I already knew. Cease to sleep longer than is needful. Retire to thy bed early that you may not be weary. Arise early that your bodies and your minds may be invigorated. Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verse 124. Ayurveda also details daily habits that cleanse the body of toxins, allowing the body systems and immunity to begin functioning at their optimal state. Caring for your physical body. Tongue scraping. Using a stainless steel U-shaped tongue scraper, scrape your tongue 7 to 14 times every morning and evening. The white film that gathers on your tongue has already been detoxed by your body and needs to be removed. Your toothbrush doesn't remove even a fraction of what a tongue scraper can. Dry brushing. Before you shower, use a dry loofah or natural bristle brush all over your body. Your skin naturally detoxes and regenerates. When you dry brush your skin, you exfoliate and slough off all the dead cells and allow your skin to breathe, have greater health, and stimulate your lymphatic system. Oil massage. Before or after you shower, massage your body with a natural oil like coconut oil or sesame oil. Use long sculpting movements on your bones and gentle circular movements on your joints. Use this time to lovingly thank your body for all it does for you. Drink warm to hot water. Your digestive gut has pores similar to your skin. Just like your skin pores close up with cold water, so does your gut. Warm water opens the pores and allows your body to more fully absorb the nutrients in your food, increases your digestive fire, and feels extra nourishing. Yoga. The unique qualities of yoga focus on opening your body and attuning your body, mind, and spirit to be one with divinity. Ayurveda is much more detailed than these few lifestyle habits. In my exploration of this fascinating ancient practice, I found these small rituals integrated the body, mind, and spirit in ways I had not considered before. I have found greater health, glowing skin, love and acceptance of my body, strong immunity, weight loss, and a gentle ritual that I can easily sustain with only a few minutes every morning and evening to care for my true identity. On an ideal day, my morning and evening rituals roughly look like this. Morning, 5.45 a.m., scrape tongue and drink eight ounces of hot water. 6 a.m., kundalini yoga. 6.30 a.m., kundalini yoga meditation. 6.50, personal meditation, visualization, and affirmations. 7 a.m., prayer. 7.10 a.m., scripture study and drink 16 ounces of hot water. 7.25, clearing tool. 7.35, plan my day. 7.45, get dressed, 8 a.m., breakfast with family. Evening, 9.30 p.m., dry brush. 9.35 p.m., shower. 9.45 p.m., oil massage and affirmations. 9.50 p.m., brush teeth and scrape tongue. 9.55 p.m., yoga and deep breathing. 10 p.m., gratitude meditation and prayer. I love my nurturing evening and morning rituals. I crave them. I look forward to them. 
They are perfect for my interests and season of life and a far cry from my old habit of falling asleep on the couch before doing anything. The compound effect by this time is so profound that I can't imagine not doing them. Thriving is so much better than surviving. Your ideal evening and morning rituals will look different than mine. Yours may be shorter or longer, earlier or later, or include different activities. Have fun in designing the details that alight your own soul. Seasons of life and family schedules play a large influence, but do not have to be a block in obtaining what you need to thrive right now. Not having a nurturing ritual usually comes from not knowing what your ritual should look like and from limiting beliefs that your own circumstances won't make room for what you really need. In order to create my ideal, I need to detail what I want to happen, as well as communicate my needs to my family for their support. Every time I upgrade my rituals, it has been a bit messy, and it has triggered trapped emotions and limiting beliefs that were holding me back. Using the clearing tools from chapter five has allowed me to let those things go so that I can move forward. Just like the salt dancing in chaos around the vibrating plate, it's important to not give up during that first stage of disruption. The feeling of finally having things settle into order is worth the persistent effort to reach higher. Press forward, things will settle into a new beautiful pattern. What is one nurturing ritual you can add into your routine? Can you add in a minute or two of deep breathing before you pray? Can you add in 15 minutes of movement into your day? Can you make a ritual out of kitchen dance parties? Design your ritual to feel loving and gentle and fitting for your life and season. Remember, the art of ritual lies in the steadiness. It is the art of showing up and planting yourself in the ground to receive grace. Begin today, begin where you are and wax strong in spirit. The art of delight. Life can all too easily become routine. Even the rituals that we intentionally create to support our life can turn stale without a bit of spontaneous delight mixed in to keep it fresh. Like the proverb of our grandparents, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Creating regular moments of play and curiosity are important to the growth of your own spirit and the alighting of your true identity. Sometimes we allow busy seasons to overrule the very things that bring delight into our life. We become too busy to take a walk, make music, play a game, sing, dance, create, explore, imagine, connect, behold, wonder, or even laugh. Scheduling in moments of recreation allows you to pause and recreate yourself after the tumult of life breaks you down. Some people are naturally gifted at having fun and taking time to playfully rest from responsibilities to keep the spark of life burning strong. Others have to be a whole lot more intentional about it. Regardless, the art of finding delight every day will keep you young, happy, hopeful, and balanced. Empowerment tool number five, the artist date. Julia Cameron, in her groundbreaking book, The Artist Way, requires her students to set aside one to two hours a week for an artist date, a date by themselves 
to fill their well of creativity and delight. She urges, in filling the well, think magic, think delight, think fun. Do not think duty. Do not do what you should do. Spiritual sit-ups like reading a dull but recommended critical text. Do what intrigues you. Explore what interests you. Think mystery, not mastery. Close quote. These artist dates are to become a lifetime tool to keep the spark of creativity alive and nurtured. I have read her book many times, and I have always thought artist dates were a good idea in theory, but in practice, it seemed far too difficult to maintain. A date to myself once a week? It sounds amazing. My soul longs for this. But the list of limiting beliefs would surface faster than a beach ball underwater. I can't. I don't have time. I don't have anyone to watch my kids. Too many people need me. And so I'd continue with my nurturing morning ritual, thinking that should be sufficient. I was taking care of myself. I didn't need to get regular recreation time in addition to that, did I? Without fail, every few months I'd have an emotional breakdown from the daily grind. I'd cry and crave a tiny vacation from life. And then I would muster onward and repeat it all over again. It wasn't until this past year that I committed to a weekly artist date. I picked Wednesday nights from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. and wrote it on the calendar for the entire year. I set an alarm on my phone, cleared it with my husband, and promised myself that I wouldn't be stood up. Interestingly enough, the emotional meltdowns stopped. I felt an increased spark for life and more creativity. Feelings of resentment for not having time to myself left. I was noticeably happier and a whole lot more fun. I laughed and joked more. Taking time to find delight for myself actually allowed me to find delight in other parts of my day and week. Pick a time. An artist date can be whatever you want it to be. It need only fill the criteria of being delightful. Prioritizing it by putting it on my schedule has been crucial. If I hadn't scheduled it, it would have been too easy to push off until I reached a breaking point. The alarms on my phone and on my husband's are helpful to enforce my commitment. Choose a default activity. I found early on that it was important for me to have a default activity. If I didn't have anything specifically planned for that time, it felt far less important to follow through. I chose the default of going on a walk so as to always have something to fill that time. Make a list of options. Most of my dates have been free and low-key. Walks, book club discussions, free time to read a novel, a relaxing bath, a bike ride, a hike, attending the temple, composing music on the piano, visiting a gallery, crafting, or anything else that feels like a pleasurable delight and recreates my soul. It can be helpful to make a list of options of things you enjoy or find curiosity in and want to explore. You can easily adapt time for delight into your current season. Maybe it is an unplugged walk outside during your lunch break, taking a new class, resurrecting a past hobby, a photo project, a club, a recreational sport, a community project, or a regular meetup with uplifting friends, taking the time to brainstorm possibilities for regular personal recreation is nurturing 
to your true identity. The more you give yourself permission to act upon your own delightful curiosities, the more you develop your divine nature. You have unique interests specific to your mission in life. Learn to follow those curiosities and desires and make it a priority. Journal questions. Number one, write down what your own ideal routine includes. Have fun in designing the details that alight your own soul. Two, describe your ideal evening ritual. What time do you begin getting ready for bed? What practices can you integrate to care for your body, mind, and spirit? What time are you in bed? Are there any logistics that need to be worked out to support this vision? Are there any limiting beliefs or emotions that need to be cleared to support this vision? What supporting affirmation can you say to help create this for you? Three, describe your ideal morning ritual. What time do you wake up? What practices can you integrate to care for your body, mind, and spirit? Are there any logistics that need to be worked out to support this vision? Are there any limiting beliefs or emotions that need to be cleared to support this vision? What supporting affirmation can you say to help create this for you? Four, find delight. Make a list of delight. What activities spark your curiosity and give you a break from normal life? Can you schedule a regular artist date? When and how could you make that happen? I hope you enjoyed chapter seven, the art of self-care from my book, living in your true identity, discover, embrace, and develop your own divine nature. Included in this chapter are a few illustrations and a video that are not possible to convey in audio format. I've included those illustrations and video in the show notes of this episode on my website, brooksnow.com. Simply search for episode 47. My number one self-care practice is meditation. If this is something you'd like to learn more about, I invite you to take my Christian meditation 40 day challenge course, but seeing those amazing results requires some consistency, starting a new habit and even more so being consistent with it can be tricky. This is why I offer every student a free buddy pass, allowing you to handpick your own friend or family member to take the course with you. You get your own accountability partner. You both do the challenge together. Two people start a new empowering practice instead of just one. If this is calling out to you, I invite you to register at the link in the show notes, or you can find it on my website at brooksnow.com. You can do this. You are worthy. You are whole. And I am cheering you on.